for me, it's about understanding what's important to people. So that can be an exercise where you, you get people together to talk about almost that sense of belonging that I mentioned. So if, if I'm part of this club and I am here, what is it that I want to happen that would make me keep coming and keep doing and getting the most out of me? Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Welcome back. And sorry it's been a while. This time of the year tends to be the busiest when it comes to coach development and education. So I'm frantically trying to work through the backlog of episodes that we've got recorded, which includes interviews with heads of coaching in championship clubs, Matt Craddock and Andy Foster. We've got a roundtable discussion with Steve Smithies, who's our regional coach mentor officer, uh, one of our coach mentors and a grassroots coach from a local club and we were lucky enough to get three hours of professor of coaching and pedagogy at Loughborough University Chris Cushion's time and these episodes should be coming out in the next month or so. I'm really excited to get them out in the open there's some real gold in there and I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoyed recording them. A couple of notices before we get started apologies for the CPD event in Liverpool on the 10th of April we had to postpone that because I foolishly put it in the diary and it clashed with the second leg of the Champions League tie with Man City and Liverpool. So we're going to rearrange that one and we'll let you know in due course when that is. Just a reminder that Pete Sturgis is coming into Liverpool on Thursday the 31st of May. He's going to be delivering a free CPD event on the England DNA in the foundation phase. If you want to know a little bit more about that, have a listen back to episode 4 where Pete discusses in some great depth around what the England DNA is and how it might relate to you as a coach. If you haven't already joined it, if you visit hivelearning.com forward slash the FA, that's free to join. And if you click on England DNA foundation phase, you'll be able to access all the free content that Pete's putting on there on a daily basis. Today's guest is Liz Hughes. Liz is owner of Create the Difference Limited and works with organisations to create belief and behaviour changes for people. Focusing on culture, leadership, engagement and coaching, Liz uses her own experiences to develop others. With a degree in geology, Liz moved away from rocks into operations, working in outdoor pursuits, financial services and mobile communications, and has delivered consultancy and training for the last 18 years for major UK and worldwide businesses, including the FA. She's passionate about people, family, sport and making a difference. In this conversation, Liz and I try to unpick the similarities between her work in the business world and what we can learn from that in grassroots clubs. We talk about the importance of culture, some of the characteristics of high-performing teams, and we go into some depth around dealing with parents and difficult conversations. Liz has been doing some real focused work with our grassroots unit at the FA, and she's really one of those people that walks the talk. So if you like what you hear and you want to contact Liz, she's asked me to pass on her details. So email is liz at createthedifference.co.uk 
and her Twitter handle is at Difference The. So enjoy this one with Liz Hughes. Liz Hughes, welcome to St George's Park and the Liverpool FA podcast. Great to be here. Thank you. And um, it's not your first time here though, is it? It's not, no. I've been at St George's Park um, where we where we met this year. So I've been here quite a few times this year. It's great, great facility. Yeah, Just a bit snowy today. Just a little bit, yeah. And obviously we spent, I think it was three days together, wasn't it, over the duration of the summer on some CPD, non-football CPD, I should add, with some colleagues of mine with, from the FA. And I've got to say, it was in my professional career, probably some of, if not the most powerful CPD uh, that I've been involved in uh, for the reason that you could tell how meticulously you'd planned everything and how you tried to apply uh, everything that, that we were learning so that we could use it in context. So, so thanks very much for that. I know you've had a, an impact on uh, the way a number of our staff think and, and behave. Yeah, it's, um, for me it was brilliant because it's um, the first bit of FA training we've been involved in in CPD stuff and just that time for you to all step back and think about yourselves came across really strongly. So it was, it was fab, fabulous, uh, really enjoyable. So I'm conscious that there's a load of people listening in now that have never met you and have no, no idea who you are. <laughs> so if you can fill us in on who you are, what you do, what might a typical week look like for... Liz Hughes. Brilliant. So um, I uh, own an organisation called Create the Difference and pretty much like within grassroots we work with organisations and individuals to um, focus on belief and behaviour changes. So what that means is stuff around leadership, culture, uh, what makes people tick um, and how you can then bring that to your everyday uh, behaviours. So I've been doing that for about 19 years, I can't believe it, um, externally with businesses. And then prior to that, both in operational roles, uh, managing teams of people, um, and all the way through that is sport. So I started off working for um, Action Adventure, used to be part of it, a bit like PGL, the Outdoor Pursuit Centre, and I loved it. One of my most passionate memories um, kids with rifle shooting, abseiling, quad biking, canoeing, just brilliant, uh, up in the northwest and down on the Isle of Wight. And that for me is still fundamental of what we're about, what we can do to engage and inspire uh, people, teams, organisations to just capitalise on the people they have. So what were the key learnings that you took from PGL? Parents get lost, is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, very similar. It's called Action Adventure, but uh, a rival to PGL. I've just uh, outed your competitors hey, there. that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what were the, what were the key things that you, you took in your time working there that maybe inspired you to get into this line of work? The... So age range of, of children were 9 to 15, typically, so at top end of the, grass, the grassroots. Um, and quite often it was their first time away, first time sort of almost let loose without, te- you know, teachers, parents. And that pa- the, the power of uh, somebody, ne- somebody never, they, they didn't believe that they could do something. They didn't believe they could get to the top of the abseil tower and, and, you know, abseil off the top. And the part you play in both supporting that confidence um, and then just giving them a few tools and then watching them come back up with a big smile on their face a second time, you know, because they've done it and they want to jump the queue. It's that making a difference. Um, that's just inspirational. And... Um- Obviously now you, your work is, is it more of a consultancy base? Yeah, so more business, more business op- operated. Um, so two things, people talk to us about uh, either helping them design or look at how they could create things differently. And then we go in and typically tend to support and deliver that. Um, and both of those things are 
you know one can't happen without the other which which is why I'm, I'm really keen if we're going to do some development going to do some learning it's, it's going to make a difference because it's so easy to go in and do a session or run an event a bit like coaching um, and it have a, a short-term impact but with businesses if they're investing money and it's supporting strategy and it's supporting targets um, we want to make it work and want to make it work long time okay so one of the, well, I mean, we mapped out a conversation yeah. before today and, and some of the things that we wanted to speak about. And actually, we've got some, some great questions in from Twitter, from some of the listeners that we're going to delve into as well. Um, before we get into that, you're a Liverpool fan, though, I believe. How, how on earth does somebody from the southwest of England uh, end up being a Red? Well, um, when I was 9, 10, 11, uh, family friend runs a uh, coach company based in Gloucestershire avid Man United fan so used to run uh, trips up to Old Trafford and used to take my sister and I along to Old Trafford so I'm talking early 80s probably um, and the days were I could be in the stand surrounded by Man U supporters and to wind them up we just supported the next best team some people might argue the best team at the time um, so I started supporting Liverpool so it was Man U Liverpool Arsenal big rivalry um, and it just stuck I just loved it players were great it was the sort of Grobelar Dalglish era um, so I live in Gloucestershire but I've always supported Liverpool yeah, we, I love it we realise that half the listeners have just switched off I know I know. <laughs> I know I know well and my son, I've got a 12 year old son uh, and for his early years he was a Liverpool fan uh, and then I lost him to uh, the other red team up in the northwest. Oh Idea. And so. I've just realised that you're sat here wearing royal blue and I'm sat here wearing red. I know, so, I and know. the derby like was on Sunday. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we we thought of, about... Um, I mean, you're the first, I suppose, uh, non-football person that, that we've had on the show. And yeah, I think sure. it's, it's great to explore what things that we can learn that can be applied in, in a football context from, from what you teach. Uh, and one of the, the things I wanted to start with, you mentioned about organizational culture there and I suppose what's what's happened across the country as sport as grassroots football has become more organized facilities are are improving all the time so I'm finding that there's a lot of large grassroots clubs out there now with a huge number of teams playing operating within them and not necessarily a single kind of culture so how, Mm -hmm. how would you define yeah, how would you define culture to start off with, really? Yeah, and and I get that, Jack, and I think that crosses directly straight into businesses as well, um, which I'll, I'll expand on. And I think, for me, culture is the foundation of a successful business team entity. It's the thing that if you haven't got it, um, it, it can make everything else struggle. So whether that's performance, productivity, motivation, um, it, it's the thing, that, the thing that I would always want to start with, regardless of what I'm asked to do or what we're supporting a, a business or an organisation or an individual with. At the heart of that, we would always start with culture. So there, there's many definitions out there of what culture is. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's very much it's an emotional, it's a changing emotional reaction to a feeling of belonging. So 
you know you have a, a family you have a culture within a family you might have a culture within a, a team that you support uh, you may at work have a, have a culture or a feeling but that's changing so if if something changes or somebody leaves or um, it, that that affects that emotional state that you have so that for me is why it's quite challenging for businesses to um, either articulate what their culture is and to keep that culture the way that, that they want it to be because it should be driven by people that are part of that that belonging so what would an example of a would high performing culture be the yeah. right phrase or how, how would you phrase it yeah um, for me for me it's effective if i put it in if simple for me simple terms is if i think about the very best team i've ever been part of you know what is it that springs to mind what did that team have what was it able to do and i'm sure the listeners will have examples of that it could be a sports team you know it could be a school team it could be a team of friends it will have something that makes you feel great and then the complete opposite if you can think about the team that um, you know, just didn't work, was ineffective, the worst team you've ever been part of. And again, other triggers will come to mind. So what didn't that team have? Or what did that team have? That, And that's what uh, a business is, is focusing on. How can we keep individuals within our team, our organisation, our club, working towards something that they're passionate about that gives us a better level of performance or a better level of profitability or whatever it is that that team is driving to achieve okay so what would you say are the triggers that you've experienced in yeah. the best teams that you've ever been involved with okay and likewise the worst yeah um so, so in, in mine you know i've got my own experiences and then experiences of teams that, that we work with so so there's a particular organization that springs to mind where very, very similar to what you've described within um, football clubs so uh, fairly senior CEO you know chief exec and then a team of six direct reports and each of those teams of those six headed up a business area so one looked after operations one was risk one was finance um, and when you looked at the culture within that organization they, they met regularly to talk about business the operation itself was about 230 employees and when people looked upwards and looked at that senior team, they didn't see them operating as a collective team with a common culture. So um, a couple of things to me spring to mind. Did they, did they uh, demonstrate what they advocate? So they might say that they care about people. They might say that people are important. But did their day-to-day behaviours um, support that? So... The, the t- and the team very much as well. So each head of, so if you like, each coach or each captain of a, t- of a team worked with their own um, staff in their own way. And, and again, didn't necessarily work across teams. So you're creating silos of culture and you're creating people who actually were working against each other or start to point at, you know, well, that team, that team don't do this and it's unfair because that team do this. And for me, that transgresses straight across into sports that if you have a collection of teams within a club, what is it that will get those teams working together? So in this case, the CEO, um, it was quite a, quite a brave move because he also, a bit like football clubs, he was only enrolled for three years and everybody knew he was enrolled for three years. So there's that element of, should I bother? Should we change it? It's only transient. Um, so he sort of had some feedback about himself that actually perhaps you're not demonstrating what you say and there was a broader piece then to say how do I get my six how do I get my six direct reports and all of my teams working together 
So that, that's stage one. Um, Can I just jump in Yeah, there? of course. So who gave the CEO the feedback? Great, great point. Um, me initially. Right. <laughs> because that, and that tells you therefore about that culture. So, you know, challenge of, so you, you um, give you a practical example. So he would challenge them around their one-to-ones with their teams and how often they hold team meetings and what was happening. And my challenge to his was, and when do you do that? When do you go and observe and coach and sit in on those events to role model what you're asking them to do? You know, took a bit of a step back. Um, and then secondly, it's that piece of when I sat with them as a team of seven, all male as well, if you take that, you know, some similarities of um, very, very closed knit, the impression they gave to people. So the feedback about almost an untouchable, an untouchable senior team and how do people penetrate that? Um, so there was a bit of a respect, trust and respect issue as well. And um, what I would call vulnerability. So are they putting their hands up and saying, do you know what, I messed up yesterday or I didn't get that right, perhaps I should have done or were they almost seen as this invincible senior team? That, that was the feedback that we were getting. So um, change, just, change needed to, to happen. We've been discussing how the similarities between that organisation yeah. and let's say a, a grassroots club, Yeah. many of whom around the country now have 100 plus teams, but I can see the similarities of what you're saying there between... Uh, between that that example and a single team, let's say an adult male or female team where there is a few senior players yes. yeah. and if not challenged or left unchecked, then the the environment or the culture within that team might turn toxic potentially. Definitely. And, and, and this is the thing for what does culture mean to individuals? So some challenges with culture for me is where does it come from? So organizations so most organizations know that if you have a great culture it drives productivity it drives engagement it drives satisfaction um, and you recruit and will attract talent you know people know that the time people spend discussing and shaping and involving people in culture doesn't match and quite often a business will say well we need to drive culture top down so a consultant will come in or a management consultant will come in and they'll sit with the CEO and their team and they will decide what's our culture, what are our values um, and let's go and give that to our staff. And that's where the challenge starts because then you are telling people what their culture should be rather than them being part of the process to decide how do I want it to be around here? What sort of place do I want to be part of? And that's that emotional trigger back to people's individual values and what makes them feel um, motivated. So if I, put a, if I put a measure on that, people today are very keen to measure um, employee engagement. I don't know a business that doesn't measure in some way employee engagement. What, what would employee engagement be? So how happy people are to, to, to belong or to be there. So it tends to be a range of questions that would dip into anything from, you know, do we look after? you well enough do you get the tools to do, to do the job um how well does your line manager or your, your supporting manager do something so it can be as simple or complicated as you want it, it will tend to give you some measures that the organization will then track what other organizations do is link that to their outward facing engagement piece which is a customer um, quite often called a net promoter score, an NPS. So would our customers recommend us? So businesses know that I need to measure my engagement because if I've got happy people that feel they belong, that feel they're part of it, I will drive productivity uh, and they'll measure that externally. Would customers stay and would customers recommend us? And that, that's what businesses do. And that, that for me is that piece about what can we learn and how can we trans, 
transport that across to grassroots. Okay. I just want to rewind a little yeah, bit. Yeah, go. You mentioned about the values and the, uh, I think what you said around the top down. Yeah. Am I assuming rightly that the, it's more powerful when it's driven from bottom up? Bottom up or all levels at once. Okay. So, so there's a couple of approaches you can take. You, you can mix it so that people get together in groups regardless of level and decide you know, the framework of what's important to us, what sort of place do we want to, to work in and, and what behaviours therefore will we see that we're all committing to and signing up to, almost a bit like a team contract. But you can do that across levels so that you mix completely. The challenge with that is that people will still not quite believe that you're serious about them um, owning that culture if they don't see senior people starting to lead it first. So it can be a bit chicken and egg where you've got to start initially with senior managers to to, to have buy-in, to be seen to be um, supporting it and driving it. Uh, yet equally, for me, it's more important te team, team upwards. So if you take a team of coaches that work across a club, what are they going to do consistently to create a culture and a framework and a way of working? And then they can then cascade that out across their teams and do exactly the same exercise with their teams. So there has to be a bit where management or leaders within an organisation get together to decide what they want to do to drive around culture and behaviours. But equally, it should be everybody's. Everybody should feel, because they've joined, because someone has left, the culture should shift. Yeah. And what are the differences you see when that's done well to yeah. when it's perhaps not done so well? Some, uh, if you want to put measures on that, um, organisations have lower sickness levels, so there's a, there's a piece of uh, research by Gallup, Service Profit Chain, and they looked at all industries where they had the biggest growth in spend and the biggest growth in profitability. And the, the common factor across that, at the heart, if you had high employee engagement, people would be off sick less, they would be there more often, they would be more engaged, they would be more uh, proactive, customers would sense it, customers would spend more, customers would stay longer, and they would recommend. And it just has that snowball effect. It's like a virtuous cycle. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Um, there's a whole other side to that, which is the human side. So employee engagement, what would you see and feel and hear? It, it's like if you walk into, I don't know, a great bar that you go to regularly or a restaurant or you go into a shop that you love, you get that sense of passion from people. They, they know their stuff. They want to help you. They live it. It comes to life. You know, the waiter or the waitress, the, they talk about the food. They know, they engage with you. You, you sense it. You sense culture and you sense, you sense employee engagement. Rather than, and the numbers will show it as well, but you'll feel it through people. I guess there's a sense of pride there as yeah. well. And you get, I get that feeling. I've had the feeling that you described there. Instantly, I was reminded of every time I've walked into an Apple store. There you go. Yeah. And, and if you link in with that, you're starting to talk about values-led organisations. So organisations that know this stuff, but they do more than know it. They are, they are at the forefront of driving what do we need to do? How do we need to behave to bring those values to life so that customers sense them? Okay, so let's bring this back to a football sport context yeah. now. Let's say you were chair of a grassroots club with, uh, let's say, teams right the way through from under sevens to open age, male and female. Yeah. How, what, would, what would be the, the first steps you would take to start to create a culture within that club and I know you started to touch on the values in there as well sure. so how would you go about it if you were chair of that club 
and that's when you look at something of that that scope and that's the reality of, of grassroots as well it's that complete diverse um, approach of who you have so for me it's about understanding what's important to people so that can be an exercise where you, you get people together to talk about almost that sense of belonging that I mentioned so if, if I'm part of this club and I am here what is it that I want to happen that would make me keep coming and keep doing and getting the most out of me? So when I say talk to people, that's coaches, it's senior people that are, are driving that, that grassroots club. Um, I want to include parents. You know, parents are customers. So any business or organisation would go out there and get feedback from its customers and, you know, look at what's being said on social media and take feedback on board. So clubs can replicate that so find out from parents what it is that they particularly want to see and feel and hear about part of being part of that club so that sort of fact finding exercise should give you a a heap of behaviors values things that are important to people and then it's creating a shape almost like a I want to call it a contract almost like a, a cultural contract that says we will or we are you know, so as a club, as a grassroots club, club, we will, and we are, and and it's a mixture of those statements that people then feel they've contributed to, and that they own, and that's the important bit. They've been created by everybody, or as many people that want to get on board. Recognizing some people won't want to buy into this or won't want to get on board. So, taking it back a little bit, I'm just thinking of the the specific strategy that you would use would it be something like uh, interviews would it be focus groups would it be survey monkey how how might you go about it yeah d depending on what you have in place so when when you're talking about culture if you can get people together face to face brilliant because why, why is that because uh, let me give you the example so the example i talked earlier about the best team you've been part of the ineffective team you've been part of. It's a really great exercise where it's a very visual exercise. So you can ask people to, you know, share, write down, you know, scribe what those characteristics are. You can put those, you know, either end of a space and then ask people to imagine a bit of a line on the floor that go and they can stand, you know, so what represents where this club is right now or where this team is in terms of culture that supports these things happening or not happening. And it's a lovely visual exercise that allows people to then start to talk about, well, I'm a six out of 10 or, you know, I, I feel, and people start to share, they start to share that emotional connection with, with that culture. So if you can get people, it's not a difficult exercise, it's not a long-winded process, it's getting people to talk. Of course, you can do alternatives to that, which could be Survey Monkey. you could do some general surveys, you know, you can canvas on the side of the pitch, you can do it informally um, when you're chatting to parents. If, if people know you're taking culture seriously, then that's important to them because they want to belong. So why not do it in a in a focus group way, in a way that's quite visual and, and quite face-to-face, -face, if you can? Yeah, and how important is doing it within context? So you said there about speaking to people, speaking to, for example, uh, players at the match or parents on the sideline, as opposed to that, I suppose, what might the difference be between that or, yeah, or an anonymous survey, for example? Yeah, um, it, it's... It's interesting. I, I, you can hear my hesitation. Of, um, I, I understand the place for for anonymous. We've had conversations, Jack, before about feedback and should feedback be anonymous or if you're doing 360, you know, what should that look like? For me, if you have 
if you have a culture and you want to foster a culture of openness and trust and respect, which most clubs, most teams, most organisations do, why would you want to do it anonymously? recognising that there will be degrees of comfortableness about sharing what they like about their team or their club or the behaviours. Um, it's trying to find a way where perhaps people can have those focus groups and then somebody comes and represents the views of those focus groups if people feel less able to share that. So where you can, for me, you get better qualitative feedback where it's not anonymous. I'm aware of many clubs around the country now who've actually started to invite a player representative onto the, the main club committee. So they'll they'll go out and look for, or present it as an opportunity for leaders within youth teams in grassroots clubs to come on the committee and, and have their say in shaping the culture. Brilliant. Yeah, so I don't know if that's yeah, that's brilliant. something that, that you've come across before in, in, in your own experiences and just how important it is in, in involving and demonstrating that you're involving as many people yeah. in the process Def definitely I think you can if you take that into a, a business context there's lots of examples of that so uh, an organisation where they do like reverse mentoring so reverse mentoring is that um, you're listening to the, the views and support of somebody who, who technically would be a, a lower grade than you if I want to, want to call it that way around um, where you have representatives or champions that go and sit at various you know, committees or boards or, or initiatives that you have where it's that back to the floor mentality. You're trying to get a voice from uh, the people that are that are the majority of people actually in an organisation that are there day to day, listening to customers, dealing with requests, you know, making money, whatever it might be that the organisation does. And therefore, how can we motivate them and engage them in a stronger way? And, and for me, it's it's trying to stop that undercurrent you know those sort of sideline conversations and the mutterings that we hear um where if people have got things to say they should feel in a cultural way that they can come and say that or share that with somebody and i think that's the challenge in businesses that i see as well as potentially in, in sports teams coming back to you said about the that statement of intent that we those that document yeah. that might say we will we are and it, just the language that you've recommended there is slightly different to many codes of conduct that I see out there. So, yeah, how important is that language in, in shaping the culture? Very much so. Um, so if I've been involved in creating culture and I've been involved, if, if I'm you know, in an organisation, I need to come up with those words or feel I'm part of, of that contract-making process. So they're very human, they're action-driven words. So lots of... Um, cultural statements vision statements that you see will be aspirational what what a cultural statement should be is how how do we behave how how do we want to behave so that sort of giving you know we will speak up and act or we will never knowingly uh, can think of a, a a particular leader that i work with a lady called carol who one of hers is we will never knowingly let a colleague fail and that is on her and their team contracts. So it's that fostering. Um, and then you, you as, a, as, a, as a leader or as a colleague can challenge people over these things. So if we've said we will trust or we will give feedback within the team, and then you don't come to me and say anything, you know, we've said we would, so, so where's the breakdown? What's stopping that happen? So when those words are written down, um, even, you know, I want to say six to eight statements, eight to ten statements maximum it doesn't have to be complicated it's something that underpins behavior day-to-day -day in a team on the pitch in an organization and how would you go about reviewing 
yourself against that? Regularly, for, so, so every team, you know, if you take opportunities, whether you have huddles, team meetings, uh, it, it shouldn't be something that comes out at an annual review. Um, it's pointless for me. It's po- if it's not talked about, what was the point of writing it down? So it should be regularly, should be visible, should be seen, uh, can come out in team meetings, referred to. It should be lived. That contract needs to be lived. There's a lovely expression of um, culture needs to be regenerated every day. And that's it. It's hard work. It's hard work to maintain a culture that you, that everybody loves. So you mentioned a phrase before, which I want to pick up on, which was values-led organisation. Yeah, sure. Um, I think organisations today are different than they were five years ago, ten years ago, whatever it might be. And uh, technology is playing a part in that. So that that visible piece of uh, when, a, when, a, when a customer or a client of, of an organisation isn't happy or is happy, they will go out there and spread that news more visibly than they were before. So whether you've used an organisation or not, you have a, a perception of, you know, you mentioned Apple, Jack, earlier. We have, we have a perception of a, of a brand. And so organisations today, if we want to attract the right talent, the, the best people to come and work for us, or we want customers to stay loyal and to recommend us. They are. It's no longer. Um, it's no long. It's no longer enough to just go by the results that the, the physical results that people have. It's about how does it feel to be part of that organisation and how does it feel to do business with them. So businesses are starting to say, if people looked at us, what what values, what sort of almost if you cut us through a bit like a stick of rock, you know, what would be printed on the inside of us? What would people see and feel and hear? And that's what's being that that's what people talk about and refer to as a values-led organisation. So Apple is a classic. Apple is always up there and mentioned. Google is another one. Uh, John Lewis. It's almost like it does what it says on the tin. So a values-led organisation puts its um, its stall out there and it lives up to it. And that's what people see and that's what's felt by employees. So again, bringing it back to our our yeah. sports, uh, our football context. You and I are on the committee of a uh, of a grassroots club. If our club was the stick of rock and we sliced it up, how might we find what was inside that stick of rock? So, as we as we said with culture, that org- the organisation day to day will be lived through the actions and behaviours of, of of people of you know the coaches of the the coaching staff, whoever runs that organisation, and they will have their own personal values, their own things that drive their behaviours and their motivation, and that that for me is is the clear part of it. So, an organisation can have a set of values it needs to be supported by the personal values of an individual. So if you, if you take those key people across across a team, across a grassroots club, what is it that, that makes people do the jobs that they do? What is it that gives them passion and pleasure and what makes them tick? And if you can get people to talk about those things. So for example, um, somebody might be driven by uh, development. Development might be a key, a key value of somebody. Someone else's might be trust and integrity. Someone else's might be um, uh, family. Family might be a value of somebody where it's all about doing things for the good of individuals and collective groups. So you already will have a range of different values. And if they're not spoken about and shared, what does that mean to you? So if if people are working closely with people, we need to understand what makes them tick, what values 
uh, that they live by and then how what we can do to bring those values to life if we don't do that that's where differences in behaviors differences in approach can be seen and felt particularly across teams across different um, perhaps where you've got a parent running a team or you've got a coach whose son or daughter plays in a team uh, those values will come across differently and people may start to question well why does that team do this and why does that team do that it reminds me of uh, of a quote that I've seen numerous times in different settings which was around there being no surefire way or secret to success but the surefire way to failure is trying to please everybody yes but yeah. I suppose uh, I can see where this uh, this would align with being a values based sports organization or grassroots club is that you're you're putting out that statement of intent about who you are and people can be either on board or not very much very much so if i give you thinking of an example in a business context that that relates to that so there's a large uh, financial services organization i work with well-known bank um and they have had uh, a, a set of values that they publish and they're well known within the organization and outside the organization and recently they have um slimmed those back to to just three values so they talk about a value around uh, delivery for customer these aren't their actual words but roughly one about um keeping things simple and another one about collaboration working together so those are their three values what they've then done to support that is underneath each of those is created four i statements so describing the behaviors and they, they're, they're talking about values in action so if I'm bringing values to life, what are the behaviours that I would do or anybody would do to live that value? And that sort of bridges that gap, Jack, between that sort of, is my understanding the same as yours? Uh, or would I see that value very differently? So, you know, working together might mean something completely different to me than it would to you or to someone else in another part of the team. So those statements all start with I. And the power of that is I either do or I don't. So an example might be, um, I speak up and act, I focus on what matters, I, I work, I collaborate with others too, and I either do or I don't. So gone are the, the we statements, and, and I like we statements when we're talking about coaching and collaborating and our language around coaching. When you're looking at how do those values spring to life, the power of those I statements is, I do or I don't. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and I suppose there's more responsibility there yeah you know a we statement it could be that i'm not quite living that value and the reason might be because you're not either or, or who, who's the we so where you've got complex teams at different levels and you're all working together towards a set of values there can be a, an opt-out of oh well someone else will pick that up or that'll get done or, or they don't mean me with that statement whereas if those behaviors that bring those values to life so within the FA, you know, you have pride as a set of values. What does that mean to people? And what do I need to do in my role to bring progressive or respectful? What do I need to do to bring that to life? And I either, if that hasn't been defined for me, do we as a team sit together and, and have those conversations? Or do I know, am I clear when I go about my day-to-day -day activities, what I need to do to live those things? That reminds me of a a task that you actually got us to complete on on, on the course of training that yeah. we went through where you gave us a non-exhaustive list of values I did yeah yeah and actually recently I I tried something just pure experimentation with uh, with the boys the 14s team that I coach and I gave them the same list 
uh, just photocopied your resources. Yeah, so thanks for no, that. Perfect. And it was, we had some time before training started. And I, at, so at training, gave them all the sheet and just got them to uh, highlight which ones meant something to them. And again, same task. Yeah. I've only recently analyzed the results. And what I found was there were, there were four that jumped out more than any of the rest. Not to say that the rest aren't important, of course they are, but the four for this group of under 14s boys, number one, far and away was loyalty. Uh, number two was success. Number three, achievement. Number four, respect. So in, in this group of 18, 13 and 14 year old boys, what they're telling me as, as far as I, I'm yes, aware, is yeah. that they 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 tend to be the things that they they value as a collective more than more than it. Am I reading too much into that? Um, no, absolutely perfect. And th- that for me should then be the driver. Can be the driver of what how you how you behave, how you treat them, some of the strategies that you use when you're coaching them. If they're underpinned more often by those four, you're tapping into their motivators. You're tapping into what gives them that spark to play football. You know when perhaps the game's not going as well as they want it to, that resilience piece, that piece that they can come back to, if, if more of the, the activities are fed around those four, four pieces of, of vital knowledge that you know about them. And, and that can be escalated up, that can be escalated up into a club level, um, into a team level, into a senior management team. And for me, it's also about publishing that. So the power of a senior team within a club, you know, people talking about their values, people sharing their behavioural contract or whatever it might, go out there and say, this is who we're going to be. This is this is our almost commitment and promise to you. Because that's that, I talked earlier about, you know, demonstrating and advocating. If, we, if they don't see it through our behaviours and through the language that we're using, it's just words. And they, those words will just be dismissed. And that was that's the next step that we've now got to do is, and we started it actually just last night at training, was one by one, taking the lads out of the training session and, and asking them what what does loyalty actually mean to you why did Absolutely. you uh, what what does success mean to you what does achievement what does respect mean to you because like you say they at the moment they're just words we yeah. need to know what those words actually mean to those individuals yeah definitely and i think it's um words that we if i take words that we use around things like um ambition or ambitious you know what ambition might be to me might be completely different to you and if you don't know that the actions and the way that you might coach or mentor or support me would be completely different you know ambitious might be give me a good kick you know if if you see my motivation drop you know give me a good kick somebody else's might be where's my opportunities you know where can I progress how can I move forward and one word can mean so many different things and and it's that listening piece for me that's that fundamental if we if we hear the words or we hear what someone says if we're not digging deeper and just asking one more question being curious or nosy then we're missing out on that piece that that just tells you what's at the, the center the core of that driver for them yeah, I think that's really important is that bridging point that you that you mentioned there. Yes, finding out about about this, but then like you say, that next step, what does it mean is, is yeah. sounds so vital. And is this something that in your experience everyone buys into or is it no. can it be better? No. <laughs> no. I that there's that piece of um you know, it's like 80-20, isn't it? 80-20 piece or 70, the, the you know, 20-10. Yeah. yeah. There will be people who they either don't see the point, you know, it's too soft, it's too fluffy, 
why should I? I haven't or I haven't got time to. Um, and it's that they'll either get they'll either get on board just because others have, or there will be a consequence or a trigger at some point that if they don't, they're at risk of being left behind, or if an opportunity comes up, they won't be considered. But you know, my heart, there will always be in a team of ten. There's always going to be one or two that that won't that won't necessarily buy into it, and then we have a choice to manage around them, you know, work around them. It, it, it's a you know, what, what do you do? That's why you're here, yeah, I suppose. Well, <laughs> That's what I'm going to dig into next. Well, and the, the reality is, you know, the reality is you can't win them all. You know, yeah. pick your battles, um, focus on what matters. So that leads us nicely into leadership and con- managing conflict and yeah. these roles that maybe people who got into grassroots sport didn't realise that they were signing up for in, in the first place and how prevalent and how, how important these roles are. So... That in my experience, this is one of the things that volunteers speak to me about regularly is managing this conflict where um, you know they're they're the figurehead essentially of a, a team or a club, and and they're dealing with a number of different motivations mm-hmm. from maybe parents, players, all of the above. Yeah. And it's it's how do you start to manage your own state when things don't don't go so well? So I don't know if you can touch on any ex- experiences that you've got. That might relate to that. Yeah, sure. Um, I, so today here, it's been interesting. I'm running some sessions around managing difficult conversations, and it's. I say it's one of those things that very few people uh, go yippee. You know, I'm going to work today, or I'm I'm going training, and I know I'm going to have a challenging conversation. Yet, uh, if we can give people tools and and just some confidence to be able to deal with that. Uh, so for me. It's that realisation as a coach and, and in grassroots that things aren't always going to go well and in a, in a team, in a business team. And it's part of my role as a manager, as a leader, as a coach to deal with those things. So what you, you see, if I, if I take the negative first, where people don't deal with conflict or walk by behaviour that is unacceptable, you actually give permission to say it's okay to be in my team and behave that way. So... It's whether they, they're a team you've recently taken on board or a team that you're now just suddenly involved in or managing or coaching. If you let those behaviours carry on, then you're saying, you know, it's okay. So that's the first part. Um, for me, it's about find, it's, it's taking the emotion out. So managing your own emotional state is the first part. So deciding when is the right time to have that conversation for your own emotional state. And secondly, when is the best time to do that for the parent, the child, the coach, the colleague, whoever it might be that you're having that conversation with, recognising that it's volunteers, it's parents, they might be rushing off you know, with their child because they need to get them to bed, all those sorts of things will come into play. So having a, a framework that takes the subjectivity out of it. So for example, if I start talking around... Um, you know, you were rude or you were late or you were unproductive. As soon as I use language like that, I'm triggering triggering a reaction in somebody. And we've probably all been on the receiving end of that. So I've seen some great managers who, you know, they have a great relationship with somebody, but if they're choosing language or choosing to do it in a way that feels emotive or feels unfair to somebody, we don't get a response, we get a reaction back. And that can close down somebody ever giving anybody difficult 
difficult feedback again. So for me, it's about trying to find a structure. So Jack, we talked about a couple of tools back in the summer. Um, so things like the AID model that I referred to. So AID stands in, in my world for um, action, impact, and then do or do differently. So action should describe the behaviour or the, the, so what somebody did or said or how they behaved. And I've seen that working really well where it forces a coach to, to talk about, have I got the evidence? Have I got the examples to, to say, well, what was it that somebody did? The impact can be then on that child themselves, the parent, the game, the match, the team, the customer, in whatever context. And, it, and that's the powerful piece. What was the impact of that behaviour or words or language? And then the third part is, if it's, a, if it's a great piece of feedback, what you want them to keep doing. If it's a difficult conversation, what do you want them to do differently? And it forces you to take that subjectivity out. It's not my opinion or just because that's the way I coach my team. It's saying, when you do this, this is the impact that, that it has and this is what we need you to do differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, so let's run this through, if we can, as an example, yeah. if you don't mind. No, go for it. So let's assume that you are the coach of a grassroots team and I am the parent of the goalkeeper Yeah. and I'm on the touchline. You've lost the game 3-0 and all I have done is shout and scream and berate my son for obvious technical errors in his game. Um, so the final whistle's gone. You've lost the game 3-0. The players have come in. Um, I'm... I'm in a, a quite a highly charged state. How might you use? Uh, how might you deal with me? Sure, and and those are, that's a real example that you know it's happening all over grassroots and not just grassroots. Um, so, not waiting. That the time element is important. So, I, I, if I wait and don't talk to that parent, I've lost the I've lost the moment. And it might be in the next training session or it could be the next match. It could even be a week or two weeks before I see that parent. Can I, sorry, can so I? So do you want to, do you want the actual? Go, yeah, if you don't so mind. What, what would I say to that parent? Well, um, the bit I want to get at is, well, you mentioned the time and somebody said to me once that difficult conversations never get easier with time. That being said, I've seen, and I've, I've fallen foul of this myself when I've tried to challenge that behavior. I've probably done it in the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, not any of the parents of, of, the, I, of the boys I coached. Uh, it was actually another coach and it completely flew up in my face um, and it, it turned quite ugly. And all I did was try and challenge the coach's behaviour and, and get him to think. So I was thinking, did I just say the right thing at the wrong time? But now you're making me think uh, probably both. So I, but I, cut, I cut in on you then, so I'm sorry. Um, so if we, if we go back... Um, so you, you were talking about you know that timing yeah so it's both I agree it's both so it, it's the timing because I've got to manage my state and I've got to manage the state of the person that I am going to give that feedback to there's a there's a sec there's a piece in there about what do I know about that parent that will help this feedback land better so I always think about so for example if we take it in grassroots you know what makes that what makes that parent bring their child to football? What is it that they what is it that they're hoping that their child will get out of football? So if we take that whole range. It could be because I believe they're the next best you yeah. know thing. I just want to win. I just want my I just son want to, to win. win. It could yeah. be for fitness. It could be I want them to play a team sport. It could be I want them to learn how to lose. It, that whole range of things. So for that particular parent, what is it that I know or can gauge about them that's their reason, their trigger, why their child 
comes and plays football. Because if I know that, I can then link that into the feedback I'm about to give them. Because I want my feedback to land so that it's motivational, so it changes their behaviour. Okay. So, so if I take my take my aid model example, so the 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 A would be around what you've seen them do. So you'd need to be really specific around, um, you know, call it out. What what did they shout out? What did they shout out on the touchlines? How many times did they do that? What Im- and then what impact it had on not only their son but the game, other players around on the pitch at that time, and also the impact on you as the coach. So how that impacts your ability to coach all of the players, including their son on the pitch. And then the D is about what you want them to do differently. And again, we need to be really specific. You know, I need you to stop shouting. It would help me if is quite a nice phrase with parents. So it would help me. It would help me run the team better. It would help me manage the the players on the pitch in the moment if. So it would help me if is quite a nice parents um, led expression that I've seen work really well and and you need to tell them what you want them to do differently and they may still not like your feedback and they may still perhaps you know try and justify it or get a bit feisty or or, um, but you know you've delivered it in a way that they can then go away and think about and probably reflect on yeah so so action impact do differently and some really nice clear messages there that that can be used let's just unpick that example a little bit more so again I'm I'm the dad of the goalkeeper we've yeah. lost 3-0 you've called the the players in um you said you mentioned about managing your own state and managing my state so some specific tactics that you might use in that situation so would would you pull me to one side would you do it in front of the, the rest of the parents how, how would Absolutely, you manage it yeah so, so that initial I need to I need to to get your attention. So I need to do that in a way where it's not in front of people. So for me, it's quite informally, perhaps as you're walking back or or you happen, you know, you you deliberately put yourself so it looks like it's informal and it's about that, you know, can we have a chat or, you know, it'd be great if you've got a couple of minutes type of thing. You need to introduce it and you need to find a way to take them away. Definitely not in front of others. Mm. Um, If you can manage it that the child is not there as well. So it's just the parent you're talking to. Because two reasons. One, I think they'll choose to react differently and you may get a more honest um, reaction than perhaps if they're there in front of their child, particularly thinking under 13s. Um, so, so yeah, doing it to the side, managing your own state, think about what you want to say. So take a couple of minutes to just think of that action impact do. The way that you speak, the, the, the pace, if we're a bit frustrated or a bit annoyed, our pace tends to increase. Uh, we might increase our volume. So it's just trying to maintain that being present, what I call being present, you know, keeping your, your volume at an audible level uh, and making sure that you do it where it's not necessarily visible by others in an, an informal way. You're not going to march them off to an office, but just making sure that um, you've, you've done it in a way where you've got their attention and you can be present. And then in your experience, how what sort of response do you get when you've used the aid model that you mentioned there with people in, in those difficult situations? Depends on the person. So some people will try to justify. They'll jump straight to justify. Well, I did that because, uh, and that's fine. So the aid model isn't, isn't an interactive tool. It's not a, I'm not trying to canvas why. So my first, so if I'm giving a piece of feedback like that, I should expect a reaction or a response from a parent. So some of them will try and justify why they did that. Uh, some some are quite apologetic. You know, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, didn't mean to take it away from you. I know you're the coach. Um, and, and that might be the end of it. That That's 
yep, you know, thought it's worth having a quick chat, you know, glad, great. And that, that's the end of as far as it goes. Um, there will be some that may have a mutter with other parents and will go off and feel as if they've been, you know, told off a little bit. Um, and that's how it is. For me, if, it's, if you don't have any conversation, those things will keep happening on the sideline and they'll keep happening again. For me, remember, you've, you've always got frameworks, you've got codes of conduct, you've got guidelines that are out from the FA that you can always refer back to, particularly in, you know, in, the, in grassroots level. So you can use those as your, as your guidelines as to why you're giving that feedback. It's not just you having a, an, a go or an attack at that particular parent. Yeah, often it can feel like quite a daunting situation that you're in, but often it's it's not as bad as you first think. No. 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 And then you mentioned that sometimes you'll get that justification, some that little bit of pushback. How do you then deal with that? So again, when when you get feedback back about your feedback, um, <laughs> it's about you displaying the same things. So the worst thing that we can do is is jump jump over the top speak over the top of them try and again you end up you end up almost like two children or two two parents trying to justify so um again the first thing is is to acknowledge it so in whatever format so either to thank them for their feedback or say I, I completely get it I understand put yourself in their shoes so it's just take the heat out of it by acknowledging what they've said um Quite often then you can make a statement and then open it up to another question if it's relevant. So you could ask them, you know, to expand on something, but it's not taking it in a defensive way yourself. Just take that moment to stop and acknowledge what they've said uh, and then confidently build on to the next bit. And I suppose that's where that managing your own state comes in. That calmness, being present. Deep breaths. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And and I think that might be the, a, a big, one of the biggest differences between the, the kind of um, corporate business sector and the world of grassroots sport is that emotions can be amplified in that sporting arena. So how do you, how do you then manage that state to bring it down to have that more rational conversation with, with, with somebody that's maybe proven difficult? Uh, For me, I I would call it out exactly the same again. If you see it, if you see somebody being irrational, emotive, argumentative, then like you've used the aid model for the feedback, you use the aid model for their their behaviour. So again, just rationally and simply just call it out again. What have you seen? What impacts it having on you right now? And again, what would help this conversation continue? I think that's a really... It's repetition. Yeah, something that we encourage coaches to uh, to help players with a lot is, is repetition of practice. And, yeah. and I suppose the same thing if, if we're trying to train, maybe or coach or certainly or lead people, uh, that, that repetition, you know, people aren't going to get it perfect or, or behave perfectly no, no. Uh, every time, are they? No, and I, you've, you've, there's, there's something, Jack, you've reminded me of, which is, um, if, I, if I don't quite say this the right way, Patrick Lencioni, Lencioni. It's a new one to me. He, uh, there's a, a model of his, it's, it's quite well talked about, it's the, the five dysfunctions of a team. It sounds very negative. Uh, it's a sort of pyramid-based visual, if you can picture uh, this five. What is it that, that teams get wrong that, that doesn't allow them to uh, work in a way that, that's, that's you know, high-performing? The very bottom level is absence of trust. And that absence of trust comes across in the way that a lack of vulnerability. So people don't feel they can say, I got it wrong. You know, I'm really sorry, I messed up. So, so that almost... Um, 
creates that absence of trust because people know that, that we don't always get it right but you don't see that in a team and that the second level is fear of conflict which is what we've been talking about so that second level of in a team where people are fearful of messing up or fearful of having a difficult conversation it creates artificial harmony so things go along on the surface things are, are sort of operating at an okay level but there's a, just a, a number of things that are festering boiling away under the surface and they have to come out at some point so in the best teams if we focus on those bottom two where we've got really strong trust and where conflict can get resolved quickly we're starting to create people where they can talk and chat and some of these things we're describing don't happen as frequently that's something that i've seen in for my own eyes is that how important that trust is and i suppose tradition uh, if we if we take leadership or if we take being involved in a, a grassroots club part of your role is is often and the people that will be listening to this will generally be leaders within there whether it be a team or a club context and traditionally that view of a leader has been the almost stood at the front chest out doesn't yeah. make mistakes delivers perfect every time um but i think what you're saying is to, to generate that trust having that vulnerability is is or de demonstrating that vulnerability is just so important it, it, it gets called all sorts of things so authenticity being human um advocating you know demonstrating advocating it's it's being open to say i don't get it right i don't know everything and that sort of um that creates that learning environment so so almost you see people get higher up an organization or a structure and almost believe that they don't need to keep learning i know it i have bags of experience i have years of experience in this field and i don't need to, to learn so that growth mindset piece that's that's around in businesses and if you take that simply it means every day you'll learn something if you listen if you trust others and if you share that i don't always know everything and that that's that human piece that yeah. people really engage with yeah i think that ego is the enemy isn't yeah. it yeah and yeah so for some people that that might be quite difficult i mentioned before about nobody you know when we're dealing with people who maybe have differences of opinion or behave in certain ways that you know might not align with what our club culture or values is, is about what are some of the the barriers that you find most prevalent to change within people good question <laughs> can you repeat it yeah so <laughs> you, we've, we've got somebody um we've got maybe one or two people uh, within the club who we want to change their behaviour somehow to bring them more in line with the sort of culture that uh, we want to create within our club. And we recognise that it isn't just going to be done with a, a quick fix, one one hit of the of the aid model that you mentioned. So what what are some of the barriers that you find most common in that that's prevent people from changing their behaviour and how might we overcome them? There's a whole heap. Um Ego, you've mentioned ego. Ego is a, is a huge factor where so there's a pride and ego piece of people not almost wanting to admit that there are other ways of doing things. Um, previous experience. So previous experience of, you hear a lot, I've always done it that way. You know, I've always done it that way or we've always done it that, that way. So people are nervous sometimes to move away from that. So if you, if you have people that like structure and they like to know what they're doing and when they're doing, there's almost that fear of change. 
So if you're telling me my behaviours don't match your new model, you know, in within the club, then for some people that fear of change is enough to make them almost just hold on to what they know because that that's almost like their comfort blanket. Um, and there's a huge piece for me around different motivators and in individuals. So we did some work around what is it that, that drives people and that, that what drives them uh, puts focus on certain behaviours and they almost have a pair of glasses that they then judge everybody else's behaviour through that. So where you're judging my behaviour and saying it's, it's not what we want, if you and I don't, then don't have a great relationship, I almost will dismiss your opinion. So I, people will dismiss other people's opinions and say that's just their perspective, or that's just what that's just what they believe. And I always talk about, um, and what I see work works well is where people um, recognise that someone else's opinion of you is their reality. So if you're telling me my behaviours don't work within this club or I need to change, it's that, that that's fact. So the only way you can get me to, to consider changing, you, I'm a big believer that you, you can only influence people to change, that change has to come from within themselves. So if you understand my trigger and you understand what makes me tick, then you can start to influence why I should change. But people will hold on to what they know, what they believe is true, and then particularly when you've got egos attached to that as well. Does that answer your question, Joe? Yeah, it does, yeah. And taking it a step back, you mentioned about that you can only influence people to change the work that I've read would suggest that in order to influence somebody in the first place, that you, unless you are um, in a real position of authority, you have to have that positive relationship with them. Absolutely, absolutely. Because if for me to buy into you, for me to listen, to, so listening is a big part of this. So if I respect you and I value your opinion, you know, like we, we can have a conversation, an open conversation, and you can say something that perhaps I don't, instantly get or I might think whoa what's going on there but if I have trust and respect I want to listen and I want to dig and ask a few more questions if I don't value your opinion or I or the message that I have about you is that you're you know the, the, the brand I hear about Jack or the brand I hear that then some people will just take that and they won't they're, they're less I guess they're close-minded close-minded to even consider that yeah so l let's try another little example if that's okay so let's say you and i are um, the coaches of a, of a grassroots team let's put it mini soccer this time yeah. let's say it's under nines for example you're and testing my football knowledge i am Jack. i am <laughs> and we have in our team a parent a, let's say a dad who is an ex-player yeah. and has uh, played uh, to a good level for a number of years you and I, on the other hand, haven't. So we don't have that uh, that playing experience that this dad has. So, And let's say dad is starting to cause us some trouble be because he doesn't agree with our training methods mm -hmm. and his behaviours are starting to become quite awkward now. Yeah. So how, how, how should we deal with him? And, and I can imagine this, this happens. This is happening in clubs. Um, it, dep it depends on what, what relationship we have with that dad and what we've already set out. So if you take other things we've talked about in this podcast, have we made it clear about, you know, almost like the culture and the values and the way, almost like our we are and we will statements. So if we as coaches haven't had that, that conversation and included that dad as part of that, he is still going to feel as if... His, his way of doing things or what, what he knows hasn't been listened to. He may also look at the two of us and say, what do they know? You know, wh where's their expertise? And he will 
um, judge that by what he sees us in terms of how he sees us coaching and what he sees in terms of you know the children in mini soccer on the pitch so for me it's it's a conversation around how can I I would approach it around um, what can he bring and what can he add to the way that we coach and the way that we run the team so that he feels he's listened to yet we can still run the club and the team as we want to so for me it is about having that conversation with him again about you know why is he involved what 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 is he hoping to get from from the club why why does he bring his son daughter to football what is it that he feels he can bring and it's about me also asking for his advice to to make him feel like we are are listening to his his opinion then we're almost replaying that back to him in some of the language that he would use but for me it's not about us going in and, and dismissing and just doing what we would want to do. I have to bring him in. I have to bring him in and feel as if he is part of our decision. I think that's a really good way to bring up the whole conversation that we've, or the sort of journey that we've gone on in this conversation, bring everything together. Um, I think it's some really, really good advice there. Um, I'm conscious of time, Liz, and uh, I know we've we've got to get dinner a bit later on, but... You are without People doubt. We'll talk, Jack, if you've suggested dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you, you are you are definitely the most prepared guest that I've had on. There's pages and pages of of notes and highlights. Um, we've got a number of questions that have come in uh, via Twitter that we've tried to kind of cover throughout this, but there may sure. be some specifics that, um, if it's okay, I'm I'm all right to send out to you. To perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That, perfect. Right yeah. Happy, love to have those. That would be fantastic. Um, if. If there's a, people out there that are interested in finding out more about your work, they might even want to uh, get in touch with you to consult in their club or even their wider organisation. Where can they get in touch with you? How can they find you? Um, so more than happy for people to get in touch. So uh, it's it's create the difference. So email's probably easiest for me or mobile. Do you want me to give out those details, I, I, Jack? Or email, fine. Yeah, I don't know if I can get your mobile number out. Yeah, no, it. email's really easy. It's liz at, and then it's createthedifference.co.uk. More than happy for you to get in touch. Uh, liz Hughes, this has been, uh, it's been fantastic. It's been great to get the perspective from a non-football context and, and what learnings we can apply in, in our environment. And um, so... Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved it, Jack. It's brilliant. Thank Great. you. And uh, thanks once again. Cheers. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. You can reach me on Twitter at JackWalton1. And don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA. See you next time.